Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. On 882 6BR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Barra and O'Day, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. My special guest in this edition is uh, WA's best and most loved fashion designer, a career that spans uh, a little over three decades. He may uh, argue uh, with that uh, title there, but I hope not. Uh, Aurelio Costarella or Ray Costarella, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How does that title sit with you? Uh, look, I'll take it. You'll take it. <laughs> yeah, take, take it. it. I've been around long enough. I think I've earned it. I think you have. <laughs> and you've been so true to Perth uh, over have, that time as well, I haven't you? very determined very early on in my career that yeah. I wanted to make Perth my base because mm. historically designers that started in Perth soon left. Yes, um, and Carla Zampatti is a prime example of yep. that, starting yep. a business in the 60s and then moving to Sydney not long after. Yeah. But I just thought, well, you know, why can't I do it from Perth? W- w- did it make it harder? Yeah. I mean, yeah. just aside it's, from it's, just the well, hours just, getting on a plane and going yeah, places. Yeah, just geographically, the distance, you know, time differences. And interestingly enough, I mentioned Carla a couple of years ago. I was having a conversation with her and she said to me, I really admire what you've achieved. Um, given the fact that you've stayed in Perth because yeah. you know how difficult that would be for you. Yeah. And it was. I mean, it certainly it made it tough for me in terms of, you know, the travel and yeah. having to go back and forth, mm. you know, between Perth and Sydney and Melbourne and and the time, just the time differences. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What what was it that, that, that kept you here? Because I'm, I'm, like you well, said, logistically it might have made sense to go over yeah, east or well, overseas. Would, I guess family. Family. Yeah. Almost. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I didn't. I guess there are two reasons. I really enjoyed living in Perth. Yep. Whilst I went to Sydney for work. Yep. Because that's where most fashion events happen in yep. Australia. I, I don't particularly love Sydney. Yeah. And certainly not that fashion environment. Yep. It's it can be quite catty, mm. and I always enjoyed. Stepping away from it and coming mm. back to Perth and just yep. having some peace and so yeah, I, I guess you know there were a couple yep. of reasons there. Yep. Uh, you just you mentioned your family there, and we we're just talking before we started this interview, uh, Aurelio or Ray. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, you answer to both. Well, I do. But now. Uh, tell us the story about how Ray Costarella came to be. Yeah. Well, it wasn't until I started primary school, my mm. very first day. Grade one. Um, Whereabouts just, was this? North Perth Primary. Yeah. And I just... There should have been a, a, a strong Italian community Well, we there did. It to, was very multicultural. Yeah. You know, we're talking, uh, you know, what was it, like 1970? Yeah. And back then, if 
if you had a name that was not easily pronounceable, they they changed it. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I ended up with Ray. I <laughs> school and it just it's a memory that's really stuck with me. Yeah. And um, I I was quite confused. About <laughs> Why my name was being changed, but then it, it stuck. For what did you, years. what did your folks think when you suddenly, you know, Ray comes home Well, from I don't school. think anyone really knew what to make of it. <laughs> this is what they happened. Kind of, they kind of went with it. But, yeah. You know, my father's name was changed. Yeah. When he arrived of in course. Australia. His name was Pasquale, but. Yeah. He ended up being called Perry for some reason. I don't know where that came from, but <laughs> it's all very obscure, but. Yeah. Mm. So consequently, I ended up with the name Ray, yep. which was never actually my name at all. Yeah. So then when I reverted to my birth name, Aurelio, it did get quite confusing because people would actually come up to me and ask me are if you, I was Are you Ray's related. brother? Yeah, they did. <laughs> wow. <Seriously. laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. right. What, what was what was it like growing up then, um, North Perth? And, uh, North Perth, very multicultural. I lived uh, the st- street that... Uh, I lived on in North Perth. Um, my parents bought that house before I was born, so yeah. back in the back in the early sixties. And yeah, it was predominantly Greek, Italian, Yugoslav. And um, you can still see that in the houses around there to yeah, this day, can't you? Some the, some great old places there. The demographic has now changed. Of course, they've all moved on. Yeah. Um, I mean, my next door neighbours, the Gentles, were um, Holocaust survivors. Wow. Um, so it was, yeah, look, in terms of going to North Perth Primary and growing up in that area, it was, mm. uh, very sort of open to a lot of different cultures. Yeah. Yeah. Which was great. Yeah. Um, I, I, I read, uh, in just doing some research for, before this interview, um, I think you were speaking, you were doing a bit of a Q and A with, with Vogue magazine and you mm. said that, uh. Uh, if you weren't a, a designer, mm. you wanted to be an architect. And, and you, you did do some study, didn't yeah, you, in yeah, architecture? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, so what I studied originally. And uh, Was that close to becoming your career well, path then? I mean, just, I thought yeah. I wanted to do. Uh, and then I think it was probably my second year into architecture that I realised that as much as I love, I still love architecture and a lot yeah. of my fashion work has been inspired by architecture, I the process for me was just a little too onerous. It's, it's such a long process designing mm. and realising a building. Mm. I needed something that was a little more spontaneous mm. and hence my move into fashion. Yeah. And I was self So fashion came after yeah. your love of architecture. Yeah, yeah, I didn't study fashion. It's I Because <laughs> my mum was a home dressmaker. Yeah. I grew up watching her sew and at the probably the age of 10, I made my first garment. So do you remember what it was? Yeah, yeah, I do. It was a red and white paisley halter neck top for, uh, <laughs> for uh, the uh, the granddaughter of the lady that lived next door to us, who was also happened to be Italian. So yeah, wow, yeah. Do you know where that is now? No, no idea. No. But years later, I ended up making her wedding gown as well. Is that right? Quite, yeah. Um, and you've you've dressed some of the biggest names on the planet. I mean, I've got a few here: Kate Blanchett, Rihanna. Uh, Princess Mary. Yeah, um, yeah. The list goes on. Dita Von Teese, Danny Minogue, Kate Sobrano. Uh, yeah. But overseas, you know, uh, Charlize Theron. Yeah. Um, it's, Look, it's, it's an incredible list of people. It is. It's quite, I actually find it quite humbling when a celebrity chooses to wear one of yeah. my garments. Um, and it's certainly. Yeah. I, I'm curious, when, when, you know, when they say, you know, you as a designer have dressed that person. 
Mm. How does it actually work? Do you actually get to meet that person and do a fitting with them? In some instances, yeah. yeah. Look, it depends on the circumstances. So someone like Dita Von Tees, for example, I've dressed Dita a few times. I mm. originally met her in Sydney probably 15 years ago. Yep. I was invited to a dinner yep. um, with Dita and I met her there and dressed her on several occasions after that. Yep. And then I was asked when I was selling with Maya, whether I would uh, custom make an outfit for her. Yep. She was coming across to Melbourne as a special guest for the Melbourne Cup. Yeah. So in that instance, I actually fitted yep. Dita personally. And so it, it really does depend. Someone like Danny Minogue, I've got a great relationship yep. with and I've worked with for years. So same scenario, I would make things specifically for Danny. Mm. Um, Princess Mary, Women's Weekly approached me. They were flying mm. over to Denmark to shoot a cover for the 80th edition of the Women's Weekly at the Royal Palace and wanted to take a few of my gowns. Yeah. And it was Princess Mary that chose what she wanted to wear, so she happened to select what a my, great my pieces, which, you know, when someone actually mm. selects a piece to wear, that's even... So you don't necessarily go out and, and seek out those people that you think would... Look no, good in look, your clothes, essentially. There have been a few instances where we've reached out to certain celebrities that we yeah. wanted to work with, yeah. um, and often they'll come to us. Yeah. So, again, someone that I've worked with a lot over the years is Tina Arena, mm. and that all came about because Tina's management contacted me mm. and said, you know, Tina's coming back to Australia. Yep. This is after she made it yep. big in Paris, and it was her first Australian tour and she wanted me to dress her for a tour. Yeah. And we've ended up becoming very good friends mm. as a result. So when when you're designing a piece, mm. um, do you design it with a person in mind? I mean, do you have a, a, a picture person, in your mind of, of of who is wearing it? I have uh, in terms of a, a demographic yeah, or, or do, an do you have an individual? Do you have when you're sitting there, you know, drawing and then constructing? Do you is Tina Arena in your mind wearing, wearing <laughs> that ne- dress or, or Princess Mary or yeah, no, not necessarily celebrities at all. Because yeah. at the end of the day, what I you got to sell it to average people. What I was thinking, like, yeah, my fashion life was yeah. actually about pitching garments to yeah to a market. Yeah, so it was really designing for a particular market. So that was. A, a demographic, yep. and that's that's the woman that I was designing for. So it wasn't, you know, yep. a person or yep. a celebrity as such. Yeah, you must have some great stories about some of these uh, very high profile people that you've met I over the years. Some, some diva moments. No, can you can you no, share no, any? Look, can I honestly, can I honestly say that Come everyone on. that I've worked with Come on, has actually been delightful? <laughs> I'd love look. I'd love to tell you a story. <laughs> this is the fashion industry I, we're talking I about. I know. I know. Look, I think I've been really fortunate. That I've I've actually had the opportunity to work with. Some well, I suppose you know you're you're there making them look amazing. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes it, there must have been times when you know someone's put something on and gone, "Oh, can I can I change that?" Or you know, can you can you do this? Or, or I don't know if it's working for me or something like that. You Not know, like so much. awkward moments. Not at all, or are you just so humble and easy to work with that you've never had those problems? I've never. <laughs> I honestly can't think of any. Awkward moments as such. Um, no. Any no. of those people that I've mentioned that have just been particularly delightful to you? Oh, look, they, they're all they're all delightful, but the one that really stands out for me um, was Kate Blanchett. 
yeah. purely because I was such a big fan. Yeah. And she was at my show at Fashion Week in Sydney mm. in 2000. Um, and she was the guest editor for Harper's Bazaar magazine. Right. And she came backstage to meet me after the show because yep. she loved the collection so much. And this, we've actually got footage of me blubbering. Losing <laughs> man, it. Man, I was actually in tears <laughs> and I had this tap on my shoulder and I turned around and it was um, the editor of Harper's Bazaar. And she said, yep. we, we love the show and I've got someone here that would really love to meet you. And I looked over her shoulder and it was Kate Blanchett. And I think I just, I went, you know, when you have those blank You went moments, as porcelain white as she you, is. When you meet someone that you've admired. <laughs> yeah. I was speechless. I yep. just, I didn't know what to say. Mm. And uh, she was just so delightful. Yeah. Oh, glad to hear it. I mean, it's very boring of you to say that, well, but I'm glad look, to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Look, if, if she'd been, if she'd been nasty, I wouldn't, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have been too happy, but no, she actually, she was. Yeah. There you go. Aurelia Cossarella is our special guest in this edition of Inspiring Stories. Uh, after the break, we're going to talk about uh, how he managed to survive and thrive in what must be a really tough cutthroat uh, industry, uh, the fashion industry. So that's all coming up with Aurelia Costarella here on 882 6PR. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day. Generations of excellence since 1888. Welcome back to this edition of Inspiring Stories with Perth fashion designer Aurelio Costarella. Uh, Aurelio, I mentioned before, but uh, some 34 odd years in the fashion mm. industry. Yeah. Um, look, clearly I'm not part of the fashion industry, but from the outside, it 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 strikes me as being quite a a cutthroat, ruthless. Yeah. Merciless industry. That's that's, you know? putting, that's putting it nicely. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> What's what's been the secret to your longevity then? Because oh. there've been a lot of big names who have yeah. come and gone yeah. here in Australia, including. Look, it's a difficult, certainly a difficult industry to be a part of. I think the fact that I've stayed in Perth, yep. for all these years has helped because it's given me that distance. Um, but it's yeah, look, it's just unrelenting. Yeah. Whichever way you look at it, I mean, in terms of just deadlines and yep. having to, you know, every three months come up with a new collection and yep. there is, really isn't any time to kind of surface for air. Take you're, a breath. You're just constantly on the go. Yeah. So for me, I was probably traveling six months of the year, designing mm. four collections a year. Um, having to be all things to all people, manage a business, 14 staff, retail stores, keep customers happy, mm. retailers happy. I'm exhausted now make, hearing you know, talk us through it. Appearances <laughs> and yeah. And it got to the point where there was really, there was nothing left for me. Yeah. There, there is no balance yeah. when you're in the fashion industry. Yeah. You're either in it or you're not. I imagine in, in the early years when you're trying to make it though, that buzz of getting good feedback from a show or seeing mm. your garments fly off the shelf, um, do you get a little bit addicted to that buzz well, you, and that, you know, that you reinforcement do. that you're doing something great? Yeah, you do. But the thing, and that's what people see. So there's a perception there that the fashion industry is glamorous. Yeah. And I'm here to tell you that it's not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably about 5% of, yeah. of what we do, but- 
I mean, that's the shows that you do, what, every, yeah. every what, few months? Well, whether it be shows or, you know, appearances or, you know, it's just the perception is that because yeah. you, you dress, you're travelling and you're dressing celebrities and yeah. people presume that that constitutes a glamorous that's, that's, lifestyle. That's what you do, yeah. It's actually just bloody mm. hard work. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, I think one of the most frustrating comments I'd get when I was – was out at you know at an event, people that I didn't know would come up to me and say, "Oh my God, you've got the most incredible life! You get to travel and you get to meet so and so." And I think you have no idea. And yeah. all the while, I was struggling with my mental health. Yep, yeah, which made it even worse because here I am being mm. told that I've got this fabulous life, yeah. but behind you don't feel that you have. Behind that, I knew that <laughs> mm. it was far from the truth. Mm. Yeah, and I, I, I really want to get into that. Uh, uh, in a little bit, because you have had a complete life overhaul, mm. haven't you? In, yeah. in in the last few years, um, those early fashion shows. Do you remember? Um, <laughs> do you remember your first big show? And do you yeah, do you yeah, remember yeah. those moments that really set you on your on yeah. your way? Yeah, um, one of my first big shows that I did here in Perth would have been nineteen eighty five, and it was at the Hilton yep. Hotel. And which was yeah. the height of glamour back then. Oh, God. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Incredibly. In the days of what big shoulder pads and yep. huge yep. hair. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, incredibly stressful. And, you know, I was a young designer yep. trying to make it in Perth. Yeah. And this was probably before I started selling Australia wide. Yep. So it was very early on in my career. Yep. But um, what amazes me is how dramatically things have changed since mm. I started out. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was working from my parents' home um, using the dining room table and a landline, and that was pretty much mm. that was pretty much it. Yeah. That you was know? your, yeah, your, yeah, your I, office, your business phone. That was, that was, that was my business. It was, I was, mm. it was just me. Mm. Um, well, you didn't go far from North Perth uh, to your studio on Mount Lawley, did you? you no, kept, you no. Kept it look, local. I've, really, I've stuck to North Perth and Mount Lawley. Yeah. It's, that's that's <laughs> my hood. That's your hood. Yeah. 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 I uh, haven't moved far from home. Yeah. Um, and yet I was traveling so much that I'd be in New York and or Paris yeah. and then I'd be coming back home to, to Mount Lawley again. Mm. It's just, mm. Yeah. I, 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 just from the way you're talking, I can sort of imagine how that, that industry and that lifestyle would would gobble you up Absolutely. after a while. Yeah. Um, you can form bad it habits. Does. It does, yeah. Um, and I imagine a lot of people do form bad habits along yeah. the way, that, yeah. the, uh, that, that culture of, uh, of indulgence. Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunate because we've, you must have we've seen, seen some big names. People go that way? Well, we've, we've, lost, we've obviously lost some big mm. name designers uh, over the years, Yep. Um, which is unfortunate. But yep. uh, you can very easily get caught up in yeah. all of that, yeah. And hence another reason for me, yeah, not wanting to wanting be to a step part away of from that it. industry. Yeah, um, it, a tremendous honour having your collection um, displayed at the at the WA Museum. Mm. Uh, taking a look at look back at uh, thirty years of your uh, design work. How did that yeah. come about, and what did that mean to you? Well, it was coming up to our. 30th year in business and we knew that we wanted to do something to celebrate that. And I'd been involved in an exhibition 
uh, at the WM Museum called Unveiled, which was celebrating uh, wedding gowns. Yep. And they'd actually brought a collection out from the V&A in London, and one of my gowns was featured in that exhibition. And through that, we started a discussion around the possibility of, of um, a 30-year retrospective. Yep. Which happened the following year. Yep. So that was certainly a great honour and it was a great way to celebrate my yeah. 30th year in the business. Yeah. I suppose it wasn't long after that that you uh, decided to, to pull the pin on that chapter of your life. It was I, a few I don't years. want to get to that into, into yeah. some detail um, after our next break, but just that last collection that you would have, uh, that you would have had or the, or the last big show, mm. um, did you know then that that was going to be it? Look, I'd known for probably at least 12 months yep. <clears throat> that something something needed to something happen. Something had to give at some point. Yeah. 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 Uh, and it wasn't until I was kind of pushed up against a, a wall and had to make a decision mm. um, that it's hard. It was my baby. It was yeah. something that I was, you know. Yeah. It was uh, very much my whole identity was, yeah. was wrapped up in this brand. Yeah. Yeah. So making a decision to walk away from that was huge. Probably the toughest thing I've I've ever had to do. Mm. And you've had a, obviously a, a little bit of time now to to reflect on it, but a mm. a good move. Oh, absolutely. Look, people mm. ask me all the time, "Don't you miss it?" I think yeah. mm, no, nah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, not at all. Look, it was a it was a great part of my life. Yep. And if I was focusing solely on creative and not having to deal with the rest of the industry and yep. everything that comes along with that, mm. I would have continued. But yep. you can't have one without the other. It, it, I, I've come across a lot of, you know, creative people over the years who seem to have, um, you know, almost that sort of one side of the brain dominate the other. Mm. Um, and sometimes, you know, they don't work in, in tandem very mm. well. But I suppose you've had to um, really kind of pursue your creative side but also kept your business hat on as well is is it is it keeping both sides of the of the brain if you like working in synergy that takes its toll and wears you down after a while is that what it is it certainly does and it's quite rare i think with a lot of creatives to have that left right brain balance yeah i was quite fortunate where i was creative but i also had a pretty good sense of, you could do the numbers as well in terms of mm. running a business um <clears throat> but yeah it it certainly made it tougher because I was actually yeah. trying to manage both sides, yeah. both the creative and, and the running of the business, which, yeah. and, and that's what took its Do you have to be a bit of a control freak? I was in the early days. I wasn't yeah. very good at delegating. I yeah. believe that if I, if anything was going to be done properly, I had to do it myself. And yeah. I, I learned probably after about 15 years, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. halfway through my career that- <laughs> It took a little while to sink in. This then. was going to kill me. <laughs> Something had to give here. Yeah. And, uh, I- I learned yeah. to start delegating. Uh, knowing that that you needed to make a change, can I ask, how did those feelings sort of manifest? Was it a, um, were you physically ill? Um, not or was it just Physically, a, as much it was more, well, it, it was more emotional. It was yeah. anxiety. It manifested as anxiety and depression and yeah. just working under immense pressure for mm. a huge number of years. Just yeah. the, the stress yeah. took its toll in the end. Do you still... Pick up fabrics and scissors and go for it and explore your no. your creativity at all. Not no, at all. Not at all. I uh, I've turned to art yeah. as my creative outlet. So I've been painting for the last three years. Right. 
Yeah. Okay. So it's actually just, just for you, or do you hope no, one day well, to? No, it's something that I'll uh, I'll turn yeah into. Well, I, I've sold some of my art. Yeah, but it's actually now moving into creative collaborations. Mm. Um, in interiors, yeah. So it's almost like I've come full circle you're back to quite that. Quite a drifting back towards that architecture, architecture right? training, yeah. 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 So I'm doing um, wallpaper murals and hand loomed yep. rugs, yeah, but all featuring my artwork. Yeah. So it's still taking my creative ideas yep. and collaborating with interiors. Yeah. Just before we get off uh, of fashion and, and and talk about your battle with depression and and how you've gone about becoming an advocate. Um, for mental health, uh, I just wanted to ask you about uh, you know um, being in your fashion line of work and, and social media and how much that disrupted uh, things. Mm. Your reflections on that that must have because um, you you're probably in the, you know you you've straddled both sides. Yeah, yeah. Um, how much of a of a factor has it been? And did that add to your so, pressure? It's a difficult one because when you're <clears throat> obviously promoting a product, yep. You need social media, yeah, as an outlet. Yeah, there is also a negative, yeah, side to that. Yeah, um, people can be quite nasty. Yeah, which um, you learn to manage. Yep, um, but it can be quite challenging. Mm. Yeah, I think social media has certainly changed the landscape dramatically. Mm. For, well, certainly. From when, where I started, yep. in terms of my design yep. career, yep. where there was absolutely nothing, yep. um, but this new generation of designers now are just so incredibly savvy. Yeah, they're out there marketing themselves before they've even designed their first collection. Yeah. So, whilst I needed social media in terms of getting the product out there, mm. there was also a negative to that. So there were often times where I would just have to step back from it because yep. it wasn't. Good have, for a, my have a health. phone detox. Yeah, look, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think with that as well, we've seen, um, I mean, I know it's at a, a completely the the different end of the of the market to you, but a lot more of that sort of more uh, disposable fashion, mm, particularly mm. In, in the young consumers yeah. uh, of social media as well, haven't they? I mean, I don't want to point the finger just at somewhere like H&M, but it comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Very cheap, of... wear it once, chuck it away. Yeah, and that's that's what we're we're up against now. Yeah. So, and that was one of the other reasons that I decided to step away from the fashion industry because we're now dealing with this whole new generation that mm. have no concept of quality. Yep. Um, fashion for them is disposable. Yep. You wear it a couple of times and then you done throw it out. Yeah. And that doesn't sit well with me. No. All right, we're going to leave fashion there, and we're going to talk about. Uh, uh, arguably more important things that you're doing uh, with your life nowadays, uh, Aurelio. So uh, we'll get into that after the break. Uh, this is WA's Inspiring Stories with Aurelio Costarella here on 882 6PR. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day. Generations of excellence since 1888. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, everyone has a story to tell, and this one, Aurelio Costarellas, is brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Uh, Aurelio, I, I don't want to uh, dwell on it too much, but uh, you know the, the the pressures that built upon you in your final years uh, in the fashion industry led you to a, 
uh, a pretty momentous life-changing decision to walk away from your brand and the last mm. 34-year career that you'd, that you'd built. Um, now you've become a, a quite public uh, advocate for, for mental health. I suppose it's one thing to, um, uh, to make that decision to walk away. It's another thing to speak up about it mm. uh, and put yourself out there and, and, and be vulnerable Mm, um, yeah. To all the commentary that uh, I'm sure has come back to you, um, was that always uh, sort of part of your your plan? If there was a plan, did no, you was it a was... big was it a conscious decision uh, for you to go public with it? No, it was never part of a plan. I uh, back in February 2015. Yep, I had my first admission to the Perth Clinic. Yep. after having a having had a break. Down. Yep. At the end, it was towards the end of 2014, early yep. or January 2015, and I made a decision. Can I ask, when you would say have a breakdown, I think a lot of people don't quite yeah, understand okay. what form so, that takes. But so for me, I mean, I had a history of depression and anxiety that yep. goes back to childhood. Yep. Certainly, I, I was very anxious as a child. Suffered from uh, social anxiety. Yep. Which is quite interesting, given the industry that I ended up working in. But I don't know. I don't know how that how I managed that. I mean, I, you know, in my early twenties, yeah. there was no way that you'd ever get me sitting here talking. But then you didn't talk about this, it, then, did you? you no, just, you I just didn't. I got on with it for one of a better to, expression. I had to hide it basically mm. because I was, uh, I. You know, it was back when there was a lot of stigma around mental health and it was certainly not something that I wanted to be public about. Yeah. That all changed for me in 2015 after that first admission to the Perth Clinic and I spent 11 weeks there, that first admission. So I met a lot of people and I had a lot of conversations and I'm talking from 14-year-old adolescents to 80-year-old women. Right across the sector. I met people from... Every socioeconomic background, I met business owners and and it was after that that I, and, and hearing the number of stories that I heard, mm. that I thought, you know what, I can actually be a voice for these people because most yeah. of them were having to cover up the fact that they were struggling with their mm. mental health or mm-hmm. felt that they didn't have a voice felt that nobody really cared about mm. their story. And I came away from that and made the decision to go public. Yeah. And I can honestly say it's the single most important thing that I've ever yeah. done. Yeah. Because the response that I had from that the mm. number of, I mean, to this day, people still stop me in the streets and thank mm. me for, for speaking I out. saw you post uh, on Twitter, I think, mm. yeah, recently, just a, a lovely note that someone had, well, had written to you. Yeah. Well, that was interesting. It was yesterday morning I was having catching up for a coffee with a, a mate of mine who uh, is involved in mates in construction, and we were talking about mental health. Mm. And there was a, a woman in the cafe, and before she left, she came over and she said, oh, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but she just slipped me this note. Yep. And when I read it, I thought... Wow. Yeah. This is why I do what I do. This Mm. is why I speak out Mm. because I know from the number of messages that I get, messages, emails from people that are struggling silently, Mm. they appreciate Mm. someone speaking out on their behalf. Mm. And and I know that I'm actually doing some good. Yeah. So if I'm able to help 
one person through a difficult period of their life yep. just by speaking honestly about what I'm going through, yep. then it's worthwhile. Yeah. But if you'd asked me, you know, five or six years ago, would I talk publicly about men my mental health battle? No. No way. Wouldn't have. Would that have uh, uh, have harmed your your fashion career? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I guess I felt that it would. And yeah. that's probably the reason that I made mm. a conscious decision not to talk about it. Yeah. 11 weeks in, in rehab. Forgive me if I sound ignorant here, but... What are, you, what are you actually doing in those okay, 11 so, months? Uh, well, the Perth Clinic is a mental health facility. Yeah. So for me, it was really just, I was going through med changes. Yep. They were trying to find a med medication that would, yep. would work for me. And you name it, I've probably been on it. Yeah. And nothing has worked for me. Yeah. So in terms of um, antidepressant medications, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty much resistant to anything. Yeah. But what I spoke about recently was the the problems around the benzodiazepines that yeah. I was prescribed. Yeah. And the issue I have there is that I was kept on them long term, yeah. three to four years when you're We're not, talking anti antidepressants. These uh, aren't antidepressants. No, so these are benzodiazepines. These are so these pain. are prescribed for generally for insomnia or yep. anxiety. So, so we're talking like, we're talking Valium, Xanax, Clonazepam, yep. Clonazepam, Lorazepam. There's a whole all the, host. All of the Pams and the Lambs and the all of them. Yep. Um, and I was I ended up on a cocktail of three that were prescribed by my psychiatrist, and yep. I was left on them long term. With no informed consent, no mm. information around the fact that um, I would become dependent yep. on them, that if I wanted to withdraw from them at some point, that it would be hellish. Mm. So that's what I'm going through at the moment. But I've had to, I've had to find that out for myself. Yeah. So I was never told that these were highly addictive. Yeah. And and you would build a tolerance to them too, and. Well, you do. and Start needing more I, and more, feeling like you want more and more. Well, initially what happened with me was that I went into what's called uh, tolerance withdrawals. Yeah. So because my dose hadn't been increased, I started having withdrawal symptoms, but I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that I felt crap all of the mm. time. Yep. Um, and I was having a lot of suicidal ideation and paranoia. I couldn't sleep. I was having really violent nightmares and intrusive thoughts and nothing. I know this isn't me, mm. but I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And it wasn't until I started educating myself yeah. and talking to people that had been through benzo withdrawals that I, that's what was actually happening to me. I, yeah. I'd actually gone into withdrawals. Yeah. So it's really difficult when you're in that psychiatric world because they're very good at getting you onto medication. Yeah. But when you need to start coming off them, they're not so good. Mm. So I had to inform myself and reach out. So I have now have a network of people that I talk to mm. in the UK and the US who have been through benzo withdrawals. Mm. So it's been through the via support groups that mm -hmm. I've had to educate myself on how to get off the benzos because mm. the Perth Clinic weren't able to help me mm. in that regard. Yeah. We need to take a break, uh, Aurelio, but uh, we'll hear more of this uh, story 
in just a moment. This is Inspiring Stories uh, here on 882 6BR. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories uh, in this edition with Aurelio Costarella. Aurelio, just, just before we get off the issue of, uh, of your mental health battle um, uh, and on to... Uh, brighter, positive uh, subjects instead. It it sounds like you have had to become pretty much your own personal doctor, your own personal pharmacist, just to try Mm. to uh, wade your way through uh, your own issues. Can I ask you, what what sort of impression have you formed of the of the medical industry, particularly in the in the sector that you're Mm, in terms of mental health? Yeah, look, I've I've, it's actually left me quite surprised. the, the lack of information yeah. that uh, as that I was provided as a patient yep. and the Im- amount of research that I've had to do in order to navigate my way yeah. through th- the withdrawals. Um, it's, yeah, look, it's, it's a bit of a dilemma because at a time when we're um, encouraging people to talk about their mental health. Yep. You then get into a mental into the mental health system mm. that is actually letting a lot of people down, yep. and this is through personal experience, yeah, and through because it just pushes them towards a pharmaceutical solution all well, the time. Well, it does, and it's not it's not the solution. No, unfortunately, uh, and I'm not advocating for people to stop taking uh, psychopharmaceutical medication because some people do find it helpful, but in my instance, it's actually made me worse. Yeah. And had I known now what mm. the long-term damage would be, I certainly wouldn't have taken a lot of the medications that were prescribed yep. to me by my psychiatrist. Or at very least asked more questions back then. Yeah. Well, this is one of the problems. And I know through talking to a lot of the other patients that I was with at the clinic, generally they have this blind trust in their psychiatrist to mm. be doing the right thing by them. So they don't ask questions. Mm. They prescribe a medication and they take it. Mm. But I'm one of those patients that does the research. Mm. I like to know what's this doing to me, what are the side effects. The long-term issues I might encounter. Yes. Yep. But in regards to the benzodiazepines, I clearly didn't do enough research and I wasn't aware just how harmful they were going to be. What's been the biggest uh, single factor that's, um, that's improved your mental state then uh, outside of medications? Uh, you know, well, some people find, oh, yoga, meditation, exercise, yeah, whatever. Has yeah, it yeah. been Look, something do, that's really worked for you? I do all of you? that. So yep. for me, meditation, mindfulness is certainly very helpful in terms of easing anxiety. Yep. So given that I'm coming off medication, I obviously have to find other ways of, yep. of coping with that. Yep. So my go-to will be natural therapies, yep. Meditation, yoga, um, but there are other ways of coping with life issues that come up mm. because taking a pill at the end of the day is not going to solve any problems. It mm. just dulls them for a while. Mm. Yeah. Um, you are an ambassador for for Lifeline. Yes. yes. Um, how important is that uh, for you and do you see that as a, as a role that you'd like to continue with? Absolutely. Yeah. Look, it's very important to me. 
given that I have experienced suicidal ideation over the years, I, I know what it's like to be in that place. I know what yep. it's like to feel that you have no hope and that yep. you'd be better off not mm. being here. So the, the role that Lifeline play in, in their crisis care and suicide prevention is obviously paramount. Yep. And there are a lot of people there out there that have no one to talk to or don't have anyone to turn to in, yep. in times of crisis. So yep. it provides a really important service. And in terms of your creative outlets going forward, you mentioned before that you're uh, creating a lot more art. Yeah, is that, so is, is that your that, that, that's your real passion now? Do you see, yeah, and do you look, see that I'm, as being your future? Well, part of my future, yeah. yeah. Certainly I've really enjoyed painting and it's almost, it's been. What do you paint? Part of my therapy. I Mostly watercolours. Yeah. Uh, uh, landscapes? No, 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 no. Abstract. Abstract. Abstract watercolours, yeah. yeah. But now what I'm doing is actually collaborating and uh, applying my paintings to wall art and mm. uh, hand-loomed rugs and working with interior designers so any of the work that I'm doing can be custom yeah custom made into furnish soft furnishings and yeah so it's it's a whole So we're new still going to see uh, the the Costarella name you you on will. something yeah. with a with a price tag on it very soon yeah 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 <laughs> uh, very still I need to do something creative yeah because really uh, it's it's where my heart is. Yeah, I yeah. was very. I was always creative as a child, and it's something that I've carried through. Yeah, with me. So whatever I do, it'll be creative. I have been working on a book. Yeah. Um, the, the last couple of years uh, around my mental health journey. Yeah. But uh, the journey has changed so much over the last few years that the it'll probably be another year or two before I'm. Mm. I'm ready to the the journey's never really complete, is it? Well, it isn't complete, no, no. but it, it it has it's changed so much in the last three years. Yeah. And from when I started writing to now, it's it, it's mm. actually it's changed quite dramatically. Is that sort of part of the therapeutic process for you? Well, putting, it has putting been. It down? Yeah, yeah, because I started doing a lot of journaling and writing about how I was feeling and about my experiences. Um I'm friends with Sarah Wilson who's well yep. known for her I Quit Sugar Books. Yep. But last year Sarah launched, uh, released her book about her battle with anxiety. Yep. And I've spoken to Sarah about the book that I've been working on and she told me that the book about her mental health journey mm. took her nine years to write. Is that right? And in the interim she wrote all of the I Quit Sugar Books. So I didn't feel so bad. Have I you thought, quit sugar yet? <laughs> I did four years ago. Did you? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So you took her advice. Well, <laughs> I know from a from a holistic point yeah. of view, I mean, things like sugar and alcohol and caffeine mm. are, are not good for your not, not, mental not health. Not going to work for you. Well, they're not good for your mm. health generally, but certainly not, not your yeah. mental health. Well, really, uh, we look forward to that uh, book coming out. I'm sure it will be a, a, a tough read, but a, a, a very worthwhile read. Yeah. read. And um, all of your other creative ventures uh, – yeah, can only wish you all the best and, and keep up the great work with Lifeline. Thank you so much. And uh, keep speaking out because obviously uh, there are a lot of people who, who want to hear it and need oh, to hear it. I will do. That's something I'll definitely continue doing. And thanks for coming in and sharing your inspiring story. Appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Everyone has a story to tell. This one uh, is brought to you by Bower and O'Day. 
We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA-inspiring story. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.